some of the brothers and sisters have landed in Budapest and uh, pre-conference has started and um, uh, uh, some of us fly out tonight. Um, Justin, I believe, is going to preach here tonight. Uh, and then through the week, uh, there'll be brought, you know, ministry happening. Uh, though uh, a good number of people will be at Uricon. So thanks for your prayers and your faithfulness and your love. Uh, I want to introduce our, our thought this morning and, um, and draw a short, a little picture. Uh, the first part is, it'll be from uh, Hebrews 9. That'll be our text today. Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> and we'll break this down just for a moment. We have, uh, many of you are learning your Bible, and you uh, you come here, and you hear a message, and take it home with you, and make some notes, uh, and uh, mentally, and maybe on a piece of paper, or in your Bible. And you see here in the first part of 9, the tabernacle, the outlay of the tabernacle that the Jews had, which was basically the teaching for understanding how God relates to people. How does God relate to people? In the beginning of your Bible, we have Genesis. What's the next book? Exodus. And what does Exodus mean? To come out. Yeah, exit for exit sign. Ex in the Greek is out. Uh, so we have... We have Exodus, and then when they come out of Egypt, what's the next book in the Bible? Leviticus. And what is that book about? Approaching God, being holy, blood sacrifice, the offerings given by the people in ministry to God, that we actually have a ministry to God, that we have one to him, he has one to us. And he teaches in, in Leviticus how we approach God and what the priests did, how they operated, how they were perfumed, um, how they came with blood, how they, um, how they dressed, and, and um, what their lineage was, what their genealogy was. And not anybody could do it. You had to be of a certain tribe, the Levites, in order to do it. So I want to draw, the picture goes like this. Um, here's a person, and this is a more common picture with us, but you get the idea, it's very simple. You have the world that you see, that you live in, but you don't understand it that well. We don't understand life that well. We can't see things and understand them in a limited way. But the big, uh, what God wants to show us is that there is something more that is behind the world that you see. So in this, uh, in this sense, I want to talk, I want to use the word cosmic, just because I like the sound of it, I guess. Cosmic order. Actually, the word cosmos in the Greek means order. 
We have the universe, which is called in the Greek cosmos, the world that is ordered, organized. The orbits of the planet, the planets and their orbits, uh, uh, different elements about the universe and so on. But, but I would like to say there are things behind the world that we see that we don't fully understand. And when Christ came into the world, he came into the world here, and we can see him. But do we understand his cosmic effect? Do we understand what he did? Do we understand who he was? When he's hanging on a cross, you could just say, the man is hanging on a cross. But we have no idea about what he is really doing because we can't see it. We don't fully understand it, but we'll explain some of that this morning. When Jesus was told about a centurion's servant. The centurion had sent uh, somebody to Jesus and say, my servant is dying, come and heal him, or, or, you know, help me. And Jesus said, I will come. And uh, the, the messenger went back to the centurion and said, he is coming. And, and then he said, no, he doesn't need to come. Just say the word. And he will be healed. So here we have uh, the, the principle. What authority, what really happens that we can't see? What really happens in life that we don't fully understand? And one, one of them, and there's a number of them, but we're going to talk this morning about redemption. Redemption. What is it? How did it happen when we were redeemed? When Christ came and we see him and listen to him and watch him, we would like to know more deeply what is he talking about? What is he here for? What is actually happening? When he enters Jerusalem, this is Easter season, and when he entered Jerusalem on that Easter week on the donkey, and the people are shouting, Hosanna to God in the highest, you see him in one dimension here on the donkey, but there were people there that understood more deeply what was happening. Who is he? He is the king, the son of David. What is he doing? He came to redeem us, to shed his blood. Another good point, blood. A lot of people don't understand this teaching, but it's fantastic. The blood, the blood of an animal, um, anything on the earth, Blood, First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 so and 19, and we'll look at that. But what does that blood mean to God, the blood of Christ? What did that mean to God, and then what does that mean to you and to me? Okay? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat>
Lord Jesus, you brought us to church this morning to teach us your word. Please give us the words, the anointing to teach us, and the interest from your spirit in our hearts to have spiritual food and to eat it, to walk with you, to enjoy you, and to know you, what you did for us, Lord. Wow, what you did for us, what that means, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know what a ransom is? A ransom, yeah? Uh, usually in our everyday, our, our, I don't hear the word very much, but usually connected with kidnapping, right? You pay a ransom. And that is actually read here in Mark ten forty-five. When Christ came, he was not just a teacher or a prophet. Actually, in the epistles, he's not referred to as a prophet, even though he had the ability to talk about the future and many other miraculous things that happened in his ministry. But uh, he, nor just a moral example, but actually he came to shed his blood. Mark 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. This is one of our, our common verses that we learn in the ministry, I, that Jesus didn't come to be ministered unto, not like us. Sometimes we go somewhere to be ministered unto. Would you help me minister to me? Uh, all the recreation activities, all of the different things that we do often is like to minister to me. But he didn't come for this, though he made the world. But he came to give his life a ransom. That word ransom is lutron in the Greek, and it means to set loose, uh, to release so when he gave a ransom, it was a payment that the person would be released or set free. And of course, what we are in bondage to as human beings is our sin nature and the curse that has come upon us because of that sin. So we are in bondage to sin in John 8, verse 32 to 36. Uh, we need to be released from it, or there needs to be a payment. That's the other idea, and that is with the word redemption. Redemption was uh, actually a payment for a slave. In the ancient world, when, when a conqueror would go out to conquer, he would come back with all of the spoil, including people, that were captured or arrested and brought back to the foreign country and to be sold as slaves. Agarazzo is that word for um, 
uh, well, no, that's the word for redeeming them from slavery. So we have slaves. They would, they would serve, and if somebody could buy a slave, it was agorazo. It was redeeming or buying from the market. Uh, so let's say somebody would buy a slave. They would serve in the family for 10 or 15 years maybe, and then they might decide to sell them again or for them to be sold again. So they could bring them to the market, and they are still a slave, but they go back to the market, and they are sold again. Let me write down this so you can. So we have agorazo for this redemption or buying buying a slave. But there's also another word used in our New Testament where, where the person is bought out of the slavery never to return. So they are out of the slavery entirely. They can't be sold again into it. They are not owned by anybody, but they have been redeemed. This is why Jesus came, to pay a ransom, to uh, release us, lutron, this word, lutron. So we have the ransom paid so that we could be released. This is behind the Easter season message where Christ enters Jerusalem and he was actually told by his disciples not to go to Jerusalem and give his life not to go. Remember Peter said that. But this is why he came to give his life a ransom to pay a price. First Timothy 2.6 Another verse. Let's turn with our, in our Bibles to First Peter, one, eighteen. <clears throat> First Peter one eighteen. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your, from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Let's look at this for a second. Here's the man in, in, in the world that we see, and we have gold and silver. And Peter says, these are corruptible, corruptible things. Why would they, he use gold and silver? Because in the Old Testament, there, were, there were, was payment by money in the temple, that led to um, good standing. And so he has this in the back of his mind or in the forefront of his mind. He has this message that we are redeemed not by 
corruptible things. Another corruptible thing that we could put in this box is blood of animals. Somebody said, gold is yellow dirt. Kind of caught my interest one time when I read it or heard it. Yellow dirt, white dirt is silver or shiny dirt. Why is it dirt? It's corruptible. It's material. It's only here. But does the gold that is here go to heaven? Or what, what, how could a payment be made to God by gold or silver or the blood of animals? It has to be more the blood of his son. So we read that here in verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish, and without spot. This is amazing because we like to know what it really means. So we turn to Hebrews 9 to get a little more insight into it. And we start reading here from verse 11. We have the context is the tabernacle of Moses and all the furniture and the veils. I could draw a little diagram for you. I I think I will just to help a little bit. It's simple. A bird's eye view. You have the courtyard. You had the entry. We had the uh, altar. We have a wash basin. We have the tabernacle proper, you could call it divided. You have a veil here, some furniture, three pieces of furniture here. Then in here you have the Ark of the Covenant and two cherubim. Their wings touch from one side of the of the room to the other side. The cherubim, in a way, are filling the holy of holies. That's what this is called the Holy of Holies. This room is where God is. And the ark is a piece of furniture right there in that room. And the angels are looking down on the ark. And the ark of the covenant had on the top, the the cover of it was called the mercy seat. The angels looked down at the mercy seat. Inside were three articles It's described there in Hebrews 9. I don't want to go into too much detail, but simply say the priest would go, high priest, once a year in through into the very place, the Holy of Holies, once a year with the blood uh, of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And then he would come back out. And because he was alive, they understood that it was accepted, the sacrifice. Well, this is a a teaching of understanding the separation between God and man because of our sin. And we cannot just go before God without the blood. There has to be a, 
uh, way that God is expiated, that propitiated is another word, where he is satisfied. In the ancient world, there was the idea that gods were angry. The gods are angry with us. So actually, in Greek mythology, Greek history, there would actually be a king or a ruler or a general, and he would believe the gods are angry, so they would sacrifice a human being to appease the gods. Uh, this is like a primitive idea, but understandable, that there is a deficit in us, that we feel guilty, or we feel there is a need for something to be done, or some way to find our way. We feel God, gods, or as uh, unbelievers would say, um, God is angry with me. I feel I am under the wrath of God, or uh, my life is not going very well. There needs to be something done about it, so I will work at it. I will pay prices. I will pay penalties. I've drawn it this way. It's like a staircase. God, and God is angry. I will do what I can, hopefully make a payment. I want to put here this word, payment. And that is the typical idea of the conscience of man. Man has a conscience, and it bothers him. And he believes that... uh, uh, he needs to do something, make payment, be a better person, uh, maybe plead, uh, say I'm sorry a thousand times, or plead with God and try to find uh, peace with God. And so this is a very typical religious idea in the history of the whole of, of the history of humanity. It's a very religious idea. It's a typical idea. It's a common thing for people to do this and think this way. And God taught the Jewish people that this is true, that you come before me not empty-handed. You have to come before me my way, and you must come before me with the blood of an animal. And because... I am a holy God, and you are a a sinner. And so uh, this was the teaching. It's reflected much in history of man, in pagan religion also, in religion all over the world. It's a very typical model, but it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's amazing. It's not what we believe It's not the answer. We believe that is true, but we have found the gospel. And what is it? Wow. This, uh, one more thing about this picture. God is holy, man is a sinner. How does he approach God? So he, I have the word payment. And it's like, I, I, I make payment. And there's another idea in this. If I am good enough, then God owes me. If I can make payment, God owes me. 
I remember as a kid, remember those, you walk down the sidewalk and then you step on a crack of the sidewalk and what is it? You break your mother's back or something. It was little things, uh, a rabbit fur, superstition, uh, guilt, penalty payment, God, good luck. God owes me. I do so many good things and then God will return the favor. And all of these ideas that are very typical with people. But they are not the gospel. That's not, this is not the model. This is not the message. Our message is incredible. It's amazing. This is, in a way, that kind of like first box, you know, the way it is typical for people. But I want to show you something. Here we are in a natural world, and we don't know what Jesus is really doing. But we want to read here what he's doing, what he did. What he did is infinitely incredible. What he did for us without payment, what he did is the gospel message. What Christ did on the cross is absolutely astounding, amazing, incredibly important, and wonderfully releasing, incredibly powerful. It is in the Apostle Paul, exceeding great. He talks about, Paul's words sometimes are, Words he invented by using hoop, uh, hooper or super, like we do it sometimes. That is a super duper tool. Wow, that is absolutely, incredibly superior and marvelously wonderful and super abounding. These are kind of the words that he uses in his epistles. He says it is an unspeakable gift, what happened on the cross. Let's read it here, chapter 9, and we have verse 10. We could start, and maybe we'll do quite a bit of reading here, but it's not a long chapter. We won't read it all. We'll move around a little bit. Verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers, washings and carnal carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. There's a time of change coming. But until then, they had Leviticus and the rules and regulations that the Jews had regarding approaching God and ministering to him. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come. What do you mean? Good things to come. What do you mean? What are the good things to come? Whoa. This is what we want to know. It had Christ's death had this cosmic influence. It went to the heart of God. That God in his mind changed his mind about us. He accepted us. We are accepted in the Beloved. When Christ shed his blood and entered into the Holy of Holies, 
into heaven itself on our behalf, we are accepted by God forever. Redeemed. Bought out of the marketplace, never to return. It's over. We are not slaves anymore in the mind of God. When I say in the mind of God, I'm trying to get you to understand your experience may be somehow troubled or your experience in your life, you might have, like we all have life happening to us. But there's something deeper than our life that we want to know about. I want to know what does God think of me today when I am in a lot of trouble. I want to know what God thinks of me when I lie down in my mire or trouble or depression or fear. I want to know what God has to say to me in my heart. The reality of God. The reality of what he has done. So this is Hebrews 9 and verse um, 11. Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. The, the This tabernacle that I drew... This one is uh, not the more perfect one. This one is on the earth, which has disappeared, by the way, is gone. It's not around anymore for thousands of years. Uh, But the more perfect one is the one where we are now in God, in heaven, even as we stand here in Baltimore. (coughs) We are in him. This tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He has gone into heaven with his blood, Now, um, his body, bones, body and bones, his flesh and bones, they touched him. And uh, but he had shed his blood. And we believe that he entered into the Holy of Holies, heaven itself, with his own blood on our behalf. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ? That means in the religious ceremonies of the Jews, they had a way of purifying the flesh in the sense of leprosy. When you were cleansed of your leprosy, you went to the, you went to the priest and there was some <coughs> service that was done to you and so this had a meaning. For us, we are not going to the priests on the earth, where we have Christ as our high priest, who sprinkles the blood on our conscience. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? Let's go back to this picture here, this one. 
conscience. Purge your conscience. I feel I need to do more. I am guilty for how I lived last weekend. I am guilty about something I did with money or sex or words or hard attitude. I, I, have, a, I have, it bothers me. I am troubled in my conscience. So in the Old Testament, the sinner would go before the priest, offer an offering, and be cleansed. Well, we don't have that system. We have a deeper, a deeper understanding and a deeper reality that is not something on the earth, but something I cannot see. But the reality of the risen Christ and the blood of Christ cleansing your conscience. How does that work? It says in First um, John one seven to nine that we confess our sin. First John. 1, 7 to 9. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the unrighteousness that is in me that I'm not aware of, and that is a very real characteristic of us as people, I, I'm not aware of the unrighteousness that is in my life, but he cleanses us of it. And we have fellowship with one another. I think we better turn and read it because it's so profound. First John one seven to nine. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and that's what we're doing this morning. We're walking in the light, we're exposing ourselves to the light. We are willing and submitting ourselves to the light of his word to the light of the Spirit, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Wait a minute. Is that blood still operating? Is that blood still cleansing me of my sin? Is that blood still a reality? Where did it go? It was on the cross, and did it drop on the ground, and how did it go? We, we don't know. There's no detail on it. But we understand that Christ is our priest. Actually, in the Old Testament, the priest went into the Holy of Holies with the blood. And there's no reason for us not to believe that Christ took his own blood into heaven on our behalf. And that blood cleanses us. It, it exp- the propitiate is a good word for propitiate, is a good word for God being satisfied with his son's blood. That's in Isaiah 53. It pleased the father to bruise him. He had, he was satisfied with his son's sacrifice. Now this is an interesting thing. And I know that people have a little bit of a problem with it. I'll tell you a short story. Uh, twins, two men, twins, perfectly looking at each other. One a criminal. One goes to jail. And the death sentence is on him. His brother comes in to visit. This is just a story. I don't know if it's true. Maybe, maybe not. But you follow the message. 
His brother comes in. They switch clothes. They agree. The innocent man says, I'll take the hit. I'll die. You go free. They do that. Is that legal? Is that legal? If the governor of the state found out about it, what would he do? He would not allow it to happen. He would arrest the guilty man, release the innocent man. That, it's not right. It's not fair. It's not just. The guilty man is to die for his crime, and the innocent man does not. So why, when God gives Christ for us, why would it be right if the innocent Christ takes our sin? Why isn't it right? Because when you, you didn't answer me as quickly as you could have because you're, you're kind of puzzled by it. And that's a good thing. Why, why, why in the story does a, the, the guilty man goes out, the innocent man is hanged? And why does the story touch our heart? It, it's not right. But it touches our heart because it seems to me the only way that would work is if that, that innocent man loved his brother. If he loved and he was willing to do it, it speaks volumes. I want to do this. I love my brother. I want him to be go free. That kind of idea. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And listen to this. The son of God did not say, uh, I'm, 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 um, um, I have no choice. Uh, I'm here as a victim. I'm going to be a ransom. I'm going to be the sacrifice for sinners. But, uh, you know, but the son said, I do the pleasure of my father. I lay down my life. Nobody takes my life from me. If, if somebody took Jesus' life, Jesus would say, it would sound like he's a martyr. But he wasn't a martyr. He was a ransom. A martyr, a martyr loses his life when actually, you know, he's a victim of the martyrdom. But Christ was not a martyr. Christ was a ransom. He was deliberate. It was, I decide to go for you so you can go free. I save you. I am the Savior. I do this. And the cosmic effect is infinitely, incredibly, wonderfully, amazingly profound. You are clean. You are free. You don't pay. No payment. You do not pay. So the sketch can go this way. On the cross, God says to us as sinners, you could never pay me. You could never pay me. You could never, not even get close. You are dirty. You are filthy. You are a sinner. You can never pay me. Nothing, not a word. Not anything in your heart. Nothing you could ever do. I must love you. I must give my son for you. So here we get the cross. And what's this called? Grace. 
is given to you. And so you do not think about paying God, but instead you now worship God. You love God. You end up worshiping him. Just like the woman washing Jesus' feet with, with her hair and breaking and, and with tears. Uh, she's not making a payment. She's overwhelmed with the nature of Christ, the grace of Christ, the gift of God. She's overwhelmed with the reality. She's touching that world that really is that world where we want to understand it better. Guys, in a way, we're all kind of goofballs. We're all kind of guilty people walking around, dragging our feet around. Oh, me. Oh, my. I'm not what I should be. I'll never make it. I work at it. I'm always a little bit guilty about my life and about myself. Until you meet Jesus in a fresh way. And you understand this is meeting Jesus. Is this big, big world here where God's grace is saying, you are free, go. Sin no more. You are free. If you sin, you simply confess it. Isn't that First John 1? we got to wrap it up here. But we say, <clears throat> verse 7 and verse 9. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Does he sacrifice himself again? No. One sacrifice for all, for all sin and for all people. Does he, do we have to go through uh, something, uh, you know, uh, where we, we kind of make promises to God? I'll never do it again. Do you think he's going to, like, I mean, really? I'll never do it again? I would say, by his grace, I, can, I will not do it again. By his grace, I have the freedom. I am free from the market, the, the slavery marketplace. We are free. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And here it is, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Spirit filling us, and we are, we are now. The Holy Spirit is righteous. The Holy Spirit is operating in our lives, and we are enjoying His righteousness. Now, what about our conscience? Our conscience is clean. This one. So this. If you, if you were to compare the two, these little plan where I make these steps and make these payments to God, and I never really get there, and my conscience bothers me, my conscience troubles me, there is no blood to cleanse my conscience, but this picture here, God gives us his son, and now our conscience is purged by the blood of Christ, from dead works to serve the living God by worship.
We are now worshipers. Okay? Amen. Lord, I just pray that some of these thoughts would go into our hearts. We could carry them in our lives through the rest of our lives and understand that when you, or when you died on that cross, when you entered the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, when you wept over the city, when you had the Last Supper, when you talked to the disciples, you had this in mind that we would be a new people, a free people, a worshiping people. And that's what we are. Thank you, Lord. Bless our week this week with your guidance and your blessing by your grace. In Christ's name. And then anyone listening to my voice, we encourage you to come to Christ. To put your trust in him. He will put your life in order. He will make your life. He will put it in order that you and I struggle in the little world that we live in. But for us to understand the larger, the one that God is living in and saying to us, you are mine, I am yours. Yes, just say in your heart to him, I trust you, Jesus. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I Repent, I want to learn, I turn to you and trust you. In Christ's name, amen.